to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We are going to be um, looking at chapter 11, as we've said. We're going to cover about half of the um, chapter today, the way it's broken up. So if you want to open your device or turn in your Bible to that, um, it's great listening to people share um, the different um, views, different stances when Jason asked that question. Um, when you think about the greatness of God, um, what comes to mind? And so to hear people's different stances, and Matt you know, goes to just a, a conception, and like he said, just the millions of tiny things that happen with every single person, and Sujin goes to, you know, uh, he goes to um, not only angelic beings, and um, the universe and um, down to the molecular level. And, and I'm literally sitting there thinking, um, man, I love root beer. Uh, Jamie gave me an uh, ice maker that makes that sonic pellet ice. I, I'm sitting there thinking those things. So I'm like, hi, I'm Sankey from Salisaw. I like root beer. And they're talking about celestial beings and molecular level stuff. And so... Uh, uh, it's beautiful to hear the differences of what people come, what comes to mind when people think of that. So I need to uh, maybe think a little deeper. Um, in uh, Daniel chapter 11, we, we saw last week, chapter 10, um, this uh, reality of spiritual warfare that's going on. So I don't want us to forget that as we're going into this. Uh, I want us to remember this is spiritual warfare that God started out this vision with. So if you remember in chapter 10... Um, Gabriel is telling Daniel that even uh, as Daniel began to pray and was weeping and mourning and fasting 21 days in a row, probably all day long at different times during the day, um, it took 21 days in a spiritual realm where um, Michael, the archangel, had to come and help Gabriel um, in fighting those different forces of angelic beings, the demonic beings. So that's chapter 10. So don't, don't forget that as we go into chapter 11. Because then the message that he says to Daniel is some devastating news. Um, and I say that as we go into this because it's easy to read over these things and to think, just kind of read over it, and it's like, oh, man, that, that sounds tough. But, you know, what happens next? What happens next? Um, we we kind of handle life that way sometimes. But this is one of the most... Um, difficult chapters to go into. Like I said, um, I'd planned on trying to go 11 and 12 together. Um, I had some friends, even I've, I've looked at some different people and some commentaries, they will, even some commentaries will say, just don't try to preach through, you know, 7 through 12, or some will even say specifically chapter 11, it's too complex. Um, don't, it, it doesn't make good sermon. It's too much detail. So I'm going to try to uh, guard against going against too many details where it's just like a historical lesson. I'm going to bring some of those things out, but also we don't want to get caught up in the details. We want to step back and look at, well, what is really God trying to get us to say? Because he could have used names. He could have used uh, specifics to where it was just a history lesson, but, but God is speaking something more than that. And so I want us to remember that spiritual warfare is going on this message is coming to um, Daniel through Gabriel, and, and it's for the next 400 years, and it's for the end times also, the whole church age of 2,000 years so far. So a significant message. No wonder there was 21 days of fighting in the spiritual realm because the demons did not want this message getting to Daniel to be written down, to be given to Israel, and to be given to us. And so you see there, God is working behind the scenes when these events go on. So again, some people say, um, do not try to preach through Daniel. Um, some scholars say that this is so detailed in chapter 11, the specifics that come out, that there's no way Daniel wrote this in the 500s. It had to be someone that Daniel had, like they would say that Daniel finished writing, and then you know, 100 years goes by, 200 years, 300 years, 350 or 400 years goes by, and then another writer adds on all this stuff in chapter 11 because 
of the, and, and they kind of made it in prophetic language, but it was so specific, there's no way. Well, we believe that you know, God's word is inerrant. We believe that God does have the ability to know the future from the beginning. And so uh, some also would say that you know, it, it's so confusing, um, uh, even upon reading it, that you shouldn't even try to go into it. Others say you must preach Daniel 11 because it is one of the most important messages coming out of Daniel. Um, so we believe all Scripture is inspired. We believe that Scripture is inerrant. Um, we believe it is true from God. So like 2 Timothy um, 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is breathed out or um, God breathed. And so and, and no, don't forget the, the aspects about that at the end. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, um, for training in righteousness. This is helping us to grow in righteousness in holiness. Um, God has a design in that, um, that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's not just theological knowledge. It helps us in having hearts that are understanding of the times that we're in and, and equips us for works of service. So, so remember that. Um, for truths, uh, because of its complexity, I did want to bring out at the very beginning, just as a guide um, for us to remember these four truths. I had these at the end, and I thought, you know, let, let's put these out at the beginning. So first of all, just God's word is true. And you may go on all these. You may think, yeah, duh, thank you. This is very clear, and these are very general. But this is really needed in such a chapter like this with all the complexities. Specifically, it's a prophetic and yet also apocalyptic book. So God's word is true. Then also God is sovereign over all things, as Jason did a great job just leading us and thinking through that in the songs that we sang. Um, it's really quite amazing if you think through it. As we get into reading this, you're going to be just going like, what does that mean? What is this? What is this? Uh, some very cryptic language. When you go back to that second point, God is sovereign over all these things, great and small. It's extremely amazing. It's otherworldly um, as a prophetic work. But we tend to be not too amazed by it. You may have read through chapter 11 this week and just went, ah, yeah, what happens next? Because I don't understand all that. It's kind of like God loves you. We're not really that shocked by that. And we should be. Only in this century, actually, the, the, 19, or the, the, the 20th and 21st century, were, were people not amazed at the idea that God loves you. Only in the uh, 1900s did this idea through pop psychology come out like, of course he loves you. Do you know how wonderful and great you are? You, you, you need to raise your self-esteem. You need to have more pride in yourself. You, if you've been through rough times or something's happened, you are the greatest thing ever. And, and the reality is, no, you're not. You're not close. None of us are. And so we're not shocked and amazed even by God's word that is just incredible. Um, man's depravity and sin have painful consequences. The third thing there, man's depravity and sin have painful consequences. We can read all this and then just go, man, that, that's crazy. It's hard to keep up with. Lots of destruction. But what happens next? These were people's lives. And if we're not careful, we, we don't think it matters. Well, what about when tragedy of sin hits your life. It's horrific to us. It's, it's devastating. So man's depravity and sin, and for your own life, are you thinking through your sin has consequences? The choices that you're making, they have consequences. And sometimes maybe you've done something 10 times and it didn't seem like it had any consequences, and then the 11th time, boom, and it destroys something. It destroys people, lives, families. And the last one, uh, most important in all that kind of difficult, weighty stuff, is God's redemptive purposes cannot be thwarted. So we're going to see nation after nation rise and fall. As Jason said, kings and leaders rise and fall. Kingdoms attack each other, suffer harm, destruction. Generations and centuries uh, of time and people are going through wars and cruelty, uh, all for this evil um, desire for power and riches and land. That's what they're going for. Power and riches and land. And Daniel 11 is just this running story covering about 360 years. And so all of this that we're going to read um, here in this visible world is what, what Daniel's accounting for. But we've got to remember 
Chapter 10 was revealing the spiritual warfare that was going on all the time, all through this. So don't just read this and think, oh, those are events with nations and governments and leaders. There's a spiritual war. Because what's God doing on the big backdrop? God's redemptive purposes. Why did, he, why did he send this message to Daniel? Because my people need to know that I'm a faithful, steadfast, loving God. I do have a future. I have hope for you. I have salvation for you. I know that sin has led Israel and Judah to be in this situation. And now all these ramifications, all these nations that are going to war and using Israel in the middle as slaves and destroying them repeatedly, I have hope for you, Israel. I have a plan. I have salvation for you. And so um, as we see this, we want to keep that mindset that there is spiritual stuff going on around that. Um, In 1 Peter um, 1, 6 through 12, I want to read this. You don't have to turn there or anything, but 1 Peter 1, 6 through 12, it's a great reminder um, because it's easy for us to um, see things going on in our own lives and and forget this reality. says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, so what he just described there, concerning all that, this revelation of Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection, forgiveness of sins, wrath of God poured out on him, that is now open to you, Concerning that salvation, the prophets who prophesied, Daniel, all through this book, watching his people being destroyed for 90-something years now in his own life, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. There's part of the key. This was for our sake. They were prophesying about the grace that was to be yours. These nations, all these Ptolemies and all these Seleucids and all these um, Antiochus, these leaders, and then all the people and the decisions that affected them, they didn't understand Jesus coming as a man and living a perfect life and dying on the cross and absorbing the wrath for their sins. They didn't understand all that. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, so he was letting them know, communicating no clarity in them, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel, the good news to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels, spiritual realm, were going, what in the world's going on here? As that was going on, they longed to look. Angels and prophets, we don't know all this. We don't know what's going on. It doesn't sound good, and God is going, I've got a plan. I've got a redemptive plan. So don't drop that as we're going through this. We're going to see these major players um, uh, divided up into powers and players just because um, it's easy to kind of think of major powers and then the players underneath that. And so what I mean by that major powers, we're going to see these two major focuses in chapter 11 and uh, the rest of chapter 11 from uh, these two dynasties. And so you'll see there, I've got a slide that talks about these, um, all these, the different things that they're going to bring out. Um, 
have to do with these two major uh, powers, the South and the North. Um, don't con- get confused by the switching of the players. It's kind of like baseball, National League, American League. Um, you know all the, you know the American League and the National League, and the coaches change from year to year, right? They may last three or four or five years. The players, they change from year to year. Don't get caught up in the players switching and, oh, here's this one and this one and this one. Um, just, just remember, there's, I'm trying to keep it simple by keeping these two major powers. This chapter reads like a like an apocalyptic Netflix espionage drama thriller with these powers and players revealing man's sin and corruption and deceit and destruction. And there's betrayal, treaties, broken treaties, greed, deceit, fighting, political corruption throughout the whole thing, lust for riches and power, um, kings and kingdoms rising and falling, rebellious coups, warfare, assassinations, families and family members and children traded for power, um, destruction of families and communities and nations. And so um, it's a crazy chapter. And so, and, and we, I wanted to cover this week, um, we're not going to end up covering the Antiochus, but we're going to look, here's kind of the outline of Daniel 11, 12. Um, first of all, just the prophecies and revelation over nations and kingdoms. We're going to see God allowing and causing kingdoms to rise up and fall verses through verses one through 20. Um, and then the next section, Antiochus Epiphanes and his evil destruction. That was specifically for Jerusalem. Um, now, those two areas, everyone kind of agrees upon. Most scholars and most people are okay with saying, yeah, those sections of uh, Daniel 11 are, are clear. Um, that's about these nations that fall. And even most people will even go and say, uh, we're okay with um, the, the rundown of the historical figures that ties in to Daniel 11. But, but after that, then um, ever, after everyone's in agreement about that, there is a disagreement on interpretation of the next section there. So when it gets to the part about um, 11, 36 through 45 and, and 12 through 1 through 3, um, that, that breakdown, it should go on. It should go like verse 46, 47, 48. 12, 1 through 3 is kind of tied into the end of chapter 11. There's disagreement on is this still talking about Antiochus Epiphanes or is there a switch and now it's talking about a future years and years, like 2,000 years later, a future Antichrist. So different interpretations, and that depends on, do you read this as um, something that's symbolic? It's a symbolic type of evil. It's not literal. Uh, it's not necessarily physical persons, but just there's going to be evil kingdoms and stuff that are in. So it's just kind of symbolic, not necessarily tied to historical figures. Some people say it's, it's very literal, but neither it's neither talking about necessarily Antiochus, nor um, a future one-person Antichrist. They would say it, it, it is literal, but we don't know for sure on the, the Antichrist, or we don't know for sure this was Antiochus. And then other people would say, no, it, it is still Antiochus. Antiochus is clear in verses um, 21 through 35, and then they would say 36 through 45 is still talking about Antiochus. And then the fourth view is kind of this is a new person. At the end of time, the Antichrist. Um, and I have to admit, so verse 36, I have a hard time with verse 36. It seems like it's talking about um, 21 through 35. And then verse 36 seems like it's still the same guy. But then from verse 37 through 45, it, it just doesn't match up with Antiochus. There's details that come out that it could not have fit with Antiochus historically. And then also we have Jesus in the New Testament. We have Paul in the New Testament. And we have um, John in the book of Revelation all hinting to, they're, they're, they're reaching back to, to Daniel and using Daniel as a reference, but talking about a future person that's going to come that Daniel was talking about that is in the future ahead of Jesus, that's in the future ahead of Paul, that's in the future ahead of John. In the book of Revelation, in Second Thessalonians and, and, and different places, it looks like there's this future person. So um, that's what we're going to look at uh, next week. Um, and then the last part, the epilogue. So let's look quickly at these powers and players. We, we can't go into very great detail. Let me pray, and then we'll go into these uh, different um, historical settings that, that Daniel brings out. And again, this was written um, at a very important time because um, these revelations that we've seen in Daniel so far talked about those four major areas, uh, Babylonia, um, and then Medo-Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. Well, we're to the part where we're switching over. Babylonian was in the past now. The Medo-Persians were in the past. And this is the transition from the Persians to now the Greek period. So Alexander the Great and those two main kingdoms, the north and the south, 
um, those, those were under generals of and under commanders of Alexander the Great. So we've transitioned from the Persians now to the Greeks, and then we're going to see as Rome starts showing up later on. So let me pray, and then we'll dive into this. Father, we are thankful for um, your word that is um, uh, just a solid, um, securing force in our lives, that the Holy Spirit uses it to guide us to you, the living God. Um, it doesn't guide us to ourselves. It shows us ourselves and reveals things about ourselves. It reveals about the fallen nature of man throughout history. Would you help us to see not only our own sin, would you help us to see sin in these lives and to see our great need for a Savior? Even if we're saved and we're walking with you, would you help us to see that we need to treasure you more, to see your control, your sovereignty? We thank you for your grace on us. Would you guide us in truth now? as we go into an area of your word that um, you provided in much grace. In your name we pray, amen. So let me read um, Daniel chapter 11. We'll start there in verse 11. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. That verse should have been at the end of the last chapter. So when they made these divisions, that verse actually fits with the rest of Daniel chapter 10, verse 26 or 21. So if you put that with that, and the reason they made that division, if you go back and look at different sections of Daniel, um, when he says, and as for in the first year of Darius, when, when, they, when, when they wrote that and had in the first year, that was a chapter breakdown so far in Daniel. This was Gabriel saying, he's finishing up talking about the situation with Michael and the 21 days of battling, and, and he's saying, and he's finishing up saying that was so significant. So then read it in that context with verse 21. Um, and, then, and as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So that, that fits with that last chapter. And then, and now verse, starting in verse 2 there, and now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia. And when he has become strong, I'm sorry, and a fourth shall be richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he is arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others beside thee. So these first uh, verses 2 through 4 there, you can see um, this is a breakdown, and that's talking about this transition from the Medo-Persians to now moving to the Greeks. Alexander the Great would be the one that's clear there. What's incredible about Alexander the Great, there are volumes and volumes and thick volumes, and people spent years, 20 years, writing and writing about Alexander the Great and all of his conquering um, uh, of all the, the, the worldly possessions and God gives him one, one little line in the Bible. So, first guy, Alexander the Great, brought up very clearly. Everyone kind of agrees with that. says there that his kingdom will be broken down. So, this, this mighty king that would arise should, shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, he died at 33 years old. His kingdom spread quickly. It was vast. It was uh, overwhelming to everyone. And he died at 33 um, and then it was broken down. Histor history tells us that four of his commanders, his under commanders, took over. And so um, we have those up there. So Cassandra, and she was over. Um, uh, he was over uh, Macedonia and Greece. Uh, Lasamachus uh, over Thrace and uh, Asia Minor. Uh, Ptolemy and then Seleucus. And so both of those guys would be the ones that we would focus on over whole the, all of Egypt. So that's the south. Egypt and Israel, down in the lower parts, that kingdom, the Ptolemaic or Ptolemic um, rule that was on the south, and then on um, the Seleucid was all of Syria up north. And so remember in the Bible, it's always talking about in reference to Israel. So when it gives north, south, east, and west, it's saying from the starting point of Jerusalem, north, south, east, west. And so you have a northern king, and I think I've got a map up there also. Um, so this is what it kind of started looking at. So the first one of these commanders here, um, so you, so Eucus or so you, 
the Seleucid kingdom in the empire, and then you can see the, the southern kingdom in black down there, um, and then you see Jerusalem in the middle, and, and do you see what happens. Guess what? It's 2021, and they're still fighting over that little bitty area there, right? The Gaza Strip, they're still fighting over that. And so God was saying there's going to be these kingdoms that rise up. Um, we've got another slide there also that shows, and so a little bit bigger picture. So the major players, the, the, the major powers, this king of the north, and then the king of the south. And they were named after those first guys that were leaders, those commanders under Alexander the Great. So all these are the Greek rule, right? Rome is growing over here, and it's going to be big. It's going to be powerful, and they're taking their time, and it's going to, be, it's going to overwhelm the world for like 1,500 years. But they're, they're not even one of the main ones at this point. So the focus of this out of those four are these two major empires. Um, so as we see this, um, see if there's anything else. As, as we look, what is the purpose in this for us? It, it's for us. It's for, first of all, Israel to know God is still in control and can be trusted. Um, he's in control of major things and small details as they go through this. This would seem very scary and very um, difficult to hear, but, but God promises that he's going to be there with them. Um, this week, um, several difficult and painful just realities um, we, we had some friends, um, we've talked to some friends that um, uh, Jackson played football with, and it was the quarterback on Jackson's team, so we played with him for a couple of years, and we just got a text saying, hey, um, she was the, the mom of this boy, and went to school with me, so where I'm from, a little town 10 miles away, we grew up kind of knowing each other, and a couple of her cousins were really good friends of mine. One ended up being like a, a college roommate at one point, and so it was the, the mother, and then her 21-year-old daughter, and then the 21-year-old daughter had an 18-month-old child in the back seat. And then the 11-year-old son, who was Jackson's quarterback, that he was in the back seat. And going down I-40, um, they have some land down in Vianne, and, but they live up in Bigsby. And blowout happens. Car tumbles and flips. The mother, who's my friend and Jamie's friend, she's gone. The 21-year-old daughter gone. So the 18-month-old little child and the 11-year-old little boy. And sadly, in the middle of all this happening, he was wide awake. And when the car finally rested, he was wide awake and conscious and saw all of the stuff. So now this little boy is kind of in this traumatic situation. We had families that were talking to us about um, different things going on, some, some marriages where people were just talking and sharing with us. We had some, in, in our own lives, just things that, as uh, Jamie ran into some people that were some, some people from our past that just, you know, some very hurtful things. And so um, just a weird, weird time. And you think through some of the tragedies, some of the hurt, some of these situations, and man, it says that God's a good God. And so I've told you guys, you know, the spiritual warfare that I believe, you know, people are going through. There's a lot of spiritual warfare. There's things happening. Um, it's real. Um, it's, it's hurtful. It's difficult. You may have had things this week that you're thinking through, uh, major decisions, difficulties, um, attacks on your life. So for Daniel, for Israel, um, for us, God is sovereign He's not just sovereign in just the huge things out in the universe. He, he does have good intentions. Man's sinful choices have huge effects. And so we see that in this chapter. Um, so now let's go on to this next section here, 6 through 20. Sorry, 5 through 20. Then the king of the south shall be strong. So we hear this introduction to this new king. Uh, the king of the south shall be strong. Um, and that's the Ptolemy. So this first Ptolemy number one. But one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. But she shall be given up, and her attendants he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And from a branch from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. 
He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His son shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come, come out and fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a great multitude, and it shall be given into his hand, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. So again, kind of difficult there, kind of complex to understand that. Um, I did have a slide that showed some of the uh, pictures. So if you went through this, um, you just go through the, the, the different people. Uh, major players that we're building up to is Antiochus III and Antiochus IV. And that's what we'll learn about next, year, next week. But um, if you just went through history, you can just trace through this. And so as we start looking at this and going back to those, the, the verses that we just covered, um, it said one of his princes, his commanders, would, would become more powerful than he. What actually happens is uh, at one point, um, um, Seleucus Nicator is one of the lesser generals under Alexander. And at one point, um, he goes and he attacks. They're fighting one another to, to, to gain power. And so then he starts getting dominated, and he goes down to the south. I think it was the south. He flees south to Egypt, and he serves under Ptolemy for a while. And then after some wars die down up there, he goes back up to the north and kind of takes advantage of the situation. And eventually, as the other lesser commander is defeated up near Gaza in the middle of all the fighting going on around Israel, Seleucus returns to the north and expands his power. And then he is over all of Babylon and all of Syria and all of uh, the media, uh, Medo-Persian area. And so now here's this guy. So that's what God's word was exactly right. One of his princes and commanders who's under him, lower than him, will actually rise up and have more power than him. And so it goes on to talk about this weird scenario about um, the, the, the son and the daughter. So Ptolemy I dies. His son, Ptolemy II, makes a treaty with, with the current ruler of the north, Antiochus II. So we have attempted treaties at different points during this. And so you've got a ruler, a son from the south that goes and makes a treaty with the guy from the north. Well, then the treaty is broken. Well, then what do you do in that case? Under that treaty, um, Bernice, the daughter of Ptolemy, so southern kingdom, the daughter of Ptolemy, Bernice, she is kind of sold or traded in marriage. So that's why it says the daughter of the king of the south was given in trade in marriage to Antiochus II. Maybe that'll work. Uh, we didn't do a background check. Antiochus II, he already has a wife. She's a very powerful prominent. Because who do kings marry? They marry other kings from other lands' daughters. She's a powerful woman, uh, Laodice or something like that. And so um, everyone knows her. She um, goes in and has him assassinated, the new wife assassinated, and their child assassinated. So don't mess with her, right? And so here's this plan. I'm going to give my daughter and get her inside the court up there. And then the already existing wife says, oh, no, we're not doing that. And she has everyone killed off. So just crazy drama, crazy situations. Um, in response to that murder, Ptolemy III, he goes and attacks Syria, the king of the north. So then when, when, they, when this Laodice kills off the other leader and, and his new wife, and his son, then the guy goes up and attacks him again. So you just see just the evil, the, the desire for power. This type of scheming and aligning for power and betrayal emerged continues through many leaders in terms of events. Uh, many times the wars resulted in great conflict. And in verses 10 through 12, it's one of the biggest battles. It's Antiochus IV uh, and Ptolemy IV. They, had, they both had armies with over 70,000 men. Ptolemy wins the battle, but it says that his heart is filled with pride. And so then it says that... Um, yet he shall not prevail. So God is against those filled with pride, even though he allowed all of these situations to unfold. And so just a very kind of difficult thing. So, so this idea that even though man is powerful and has great power and authority and riches, it seems like his plans would make sense. We see this situation where God is always above what's going on. God brings low the prideful. 
In verses 13 through 20, let's read this. Um, For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first. And after some years he shall come come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times many shall rise against the king of the south. And the violence among your own people, Daniel, shall lift themselves up in order to to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not stand, or even, his best, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand." He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute, so that's taxes, for the glory of the kingdom, Rome. But within a few days he shall be broken neither in anger nor in battle. So very, very difficult to understand. So let's give this a quick run. So when it says this in verse 13 there, Um, For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first. And after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. Um, The king of the north, Syria, now becomes the dominant player. So this is a a huge shift because the king of the south, the Ptolemaic um, empire, had been in, in rule and they had control over Jerusalem and Israel. Now this a shift happens in 13 to where the king of the north comes down and they start battling and they get control over um, Jerusalem. Every time that happens, you're in the battleground. Like Israel's in the middle of this and people, tens of thousands of people are just, just either killed or murdered or all kinds of things happen uh, and it gets worse. But this is setting the stage for this evil, evil ruler, Antiochus IV, that starts in verse 21. Um, so it's kind of like, hey, I've got bad news. Um, it's kind of like going to the doctor and they tell you, hey, we, we, we've got something that um, we, we've identified and it's right here in your, in your guts. Um, we're not going to be able to put you to sleep or use any numbing um, gel or any kind of numbing shots. And because of the nature of this surgery and, and this, this horrible thing inside you, we're going to have to start at that, that little soft part in the middle of your foot and slowly cut up. Now remember, it's going to be difficult because there's no numbing agent. Uh, they're, they're, you're not going to be able to, put to be put to sleep. And then we're going to go up through your leg, and then we're going to have to cut into your guts. But we're going to have some people having something that you can kind of bite with your teeth or something that you can grip with your teeth. And so, but hey, listen, that's just the bad news. The good news is the surgery will end. So that's kind of like what Daniel's hearing here, just like, this is just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and then the really bad one comes, Antiochus IV. And so that's what's going on in these situations. Uh, 15 years later, in like 202 BC, Antiochus uh, invades the Ptolemaic territory. So he comes from the north down. So Antiochus the third or the second. And the occasion for this was that Ptolemy the fourth, the guy down there, he died. So the guy up in the north goes, oh, the old man died. Let's go down and take advantage. So they're just completely uh, just evil and greed and, and power. Um, and it says that in verse 14, in those times, many shall arise against the king of the south and the violent among your own people. So what happens when they come down from the north? The people in Jerusalem, uh, the people from Israel, um, they even turn. Says the, the violent among your own people, they join Antiochus the third, and and they go against Egypt, who had been the ones that were over them for a period of time. Some believe that they thought um, that they were fulfilling this very vision from Daniel. That the people in Israel were like, "We've heard about this from Daniel. 
Let's raise up our forces and fight. And, and it doesn't work out. Like it says, like, but they did not prevail. So they lose. So they try to turn on Egypt in the south, and they get taken down and probably lots and lots murdered. So, so we see, again, the power of Antiochus III, now with his northern kingdom ruling over major territories, uh, but also specifically Israel. In verses 17 through 20, he says, He shall set his face to come with strength, uh, the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom. So he gives, and here's another second scenario where this king gives his daughter, thinking that I will make a pledge. And so the king from the north, Antiochus III, gives his daughter to the leader of the south, but his idea was now I'll have an insider, and she will be able to hear what the, at the king's table their plans for war and everything. Well, it doesn't work. She gets down there, and history tells us that as she gets down there, she loves her husband more than her dad, and she turns on her dad and betrays the dad, and so now he's ticked. So that's why it says in the next, in the next verse there, um, look in verses 18 and 19, afterward he shall return he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them. But a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Uh, indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. So now you've got this dad who was angry about what his daughter did and embarrassed. And so now what does he do? I'm going to go, since that didn't work to take over the south, I'm going to go to the coastlands. So all the little bitty nations, and I'm going to start gathering and getting money and money and money, and I'm going to use that as a power source and a power currency to get these other people. Um, he goes on a, a rampage um, after his failure and his daughter's betrayal. Um, these verses reveal um, that he, he just goes on this, this um, rampage destroying those around. But now, now we've got this situation of Antiochus III, and now we've got this force over here that's mentioned, and this was Rome. And so when it says this uh, sentence, uh, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then, he, then that king shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. So in 191 B.C., Lucius, the Roman commander, and his army forced them to withdraw from Greece and flee to Asia Minor. In 190 B.C., a year later, Lucius, with an army of 30,000 people, defeat Antiochus III and forced them not only out of the Greek area, but all the way down into Asia Minor and chased them down there. Um, all of this is just recorded historically. Um, and in this situation, there's a, there's a period where he actually uh, shows up in there. Um, years later, Antiochus comes, and he's going to come down, and he's going to go down to the south to um, try to attack the south again in Egypt. And they're about four miles outside of the city of Alexandria. And this Roman guy rolls up with his huge army of Rome that they thought was just like little bitty Rome, and he gives a letter and says, if you decide to attack Egypt right now, you have to go to war with Rome. And he literally draws a circle in the sand around him and says, you have to tell us your decision before you step out of the circle. And so he just, and so it's like, obviously he doesn't want to go against Rome. So he's got a tuck tail, not go after Egypt and then he goes back up to his homeland, and that's when they, and then they, they, they end up killing him. So all kinds of crazy, crazy stories. And I could go into more and more of those little stories. Um, all of that is, is, remember, prophesied 350, 400 years beforehand. Well, then when you get into reading all that, that whole list of names and you read the historical accounts of all those situations that happened, it fits in and ties in exactly with what God had um, given us earlier on in Daniel. And so now you're going, man, how in the world would, would Israel feel seeing all of that that they're going to have to go through? What would Daniel feel knowing all that they're going to have to go through? And we haven't even got to Antiochus IV. So... Um, why all of this? What's going on through all of this? Um, what is God trying to show us in all this? So remember those four truths. First of all, God's word is true. This shows us that God knew every bit of this and predicted and prophesied every bit of this. And he is sovereign over all things great and small. 
Um, man's depravity and sin have painful consequences. So all that we've just read, every single bit of that, notice this, that um, Israel's consequences and their sin, all of that has happened because of their sin and consequences. That God was saying early on, if you do these things, I'm going to use other nations to get your attention. You're going to be brought into all kinds of discipline and correction. And God's goal in that was to have their hearts softened. But discipline had to come. And so um, man's depravity and sin, the promise, it always promises freedom and life and enjoyment, but it leads to destruction and death and extreme suffering. Um, so, so what is going on with this crazy little story that we didn't go in and spend, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on just the history, but just enough to show you that historical events that even atheists um, look at and go, this is crazy. This had to be a, a, a writer later on. This could not have been Daniel because all of these events that we know historically lined up in the world, it matches exactly with what was predicted there. And it, it's just amazing to see some of those details. It had to be someone that wrote it later is what they would say. Um, what's God doing here? God's doing a faithful work. Um, preparing for his new covenant in Christ. So uh, Jeremiah, remember in Jeremiah 31, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out. So I was faithful. You weren't. Not even that old covenant. They broke it in a million different ways. Not even that way. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. You think that Daniel would have loved that at this point? You think that Daniel and his people would have loved to know God is our God. These people, um, this, we are the people of God, and we've got a homeland can you imagine what they've been living through? Every bit of this, as we've just kind of read through those 20 verses, all sinfully controlled, and notice not one mention of God in that whole section. Not one mention of God, and yet God is whispering of man's need for hope and restoration. Um, as we look at that, it's easy to read that and just go, didn't know them. History lines up with it. Okay, I'm okay with that. But for us, God knew we would be reading this one day. God knew that we would be hearing this message one day. It matters more. And so I've got two things to close with why it matters. And the first one is just in everyday life. This matters in everyday living and everyday life. This idea of God's sovereignty over great things and small things. But also, secondly, um, it matters on matters of eternity. So the first one, just, just think through everyday life. So think through what we just read in Daniel 11. Look at our own day. Evil powers, evil players, evil leaders, countries, nations. Uh, in our own time, we're seeing if that's large powers and governments, the U.S., China, Russia, North Korea, Israel, Iraq, Iran, uh, major players, Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden, Hussein, uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, Putin, uh, Rivlin, uh, Rouhani. If that's state governments and um, conservatives and liberals, you ever get frustrated with those things? You ever get tired of the news that keeps talking? It's still going, isn't it? It's Daniel 11, isn't it? So it matters to us. Um, if that's local officials, city governments, school officials, um, situations that when we go through a pandemic and people say we don't know who we can listen to, don't know who we can trust, all of those things, where's God in that? What do we learn from chapter 11 and 12 in God's word to us in Daniel about God's purposes in allowing evil to happen, evil to occur? Um, first of all, we just see God's grace. We see that, man, God's steadfast love. We see him being patient with evil people. We see him being slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We see his forgiveness. 
So what biblical lens should we view these events and powers and players in our own world? When we see all these things going on, whether it's uh, all the things going on in social media, whether it's going on in the news, all those, what's the grid that we view it from? We're supposed to choose a side and then, and then try, to, try to apply the Bible to my side to prove that side's wrong? Or are we supposed to look through the lens of the gospel? What was Christ showing us about that? Even if a country that's 200 and something years old collapsed, Man, Rome, 1,500 years. And you can walk around there now for a quarter and look at the Colosseum that's in ruins. 1,500 years. And we, we think we're just unshakable. And I'm not saying anything against our country. I'm, I'm saying from, a God's, from God's perspective, not a lot mentioned about us, right? If you're hoping... The rest of chapter 11 or 12 start talking about the great old U.S. of A. You might not have to add a chapter somewhere. So nothing against us, but like we're, we're God's people. We've got to see what God's saying. Um, are we trusting and resting in and enjoying Him? Are you engaged? Are, are you feasting on Him? And are you fighting in a spiritual warfare? Because if you're just coming to listen to something to see if there's practical help for that week and, and you're not engaged yourself in prayer and the Word and in other people's lives and disciple-making, then, then like you're, you're not. Don't lie to yourself. You're not engaged in the battle. But it's going on all around you. And you may be more confused by it because you're not engaged in the battle. You're not hearing. So it matters. It matters when evil hits your home in practical living. When a child gets a diagnosis... That was not part of your life plan. When, when your, your parents, their, fa their health starts failing and you start having to take care of parents and they're diagnosed with something. When, when uh, people around your life start attacking and slandering and doing evil things. When families fall apart and fall into turmoil and broken relationships. All of those things. This matters. Secondly, it matters on eternal matters. When you think through the bigger picture. So here, here's what gets me. Um, I know a lot of people who read the Bible and read about all the wars, all the situations with David and all the things with David and Joshua and all the ites that they, they killed and slaughtered and stuff. And, and we just kind of read through that. Um, we read a story like Daniel 11 and we, we read through those, all the wars, all the atrocities, all these nations destroyed, and, and we don't even flinch, right? So we're reading through that. Well, I mean, God's sovereign. Um, but you realize the darkness, the level of darkness at that point, right? Like the level of spiritual oppression and darkness that covered the Perizzites, the Hittites, you realize they didn't have God's revelation. What kind of darkness is it to be born be a little kid playing with rocks or whatever little kids back then played with and grow up as a 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old and worshiping a God that everyone around you says, this is what we do. And we worship these, this um, number of gods for our plants and for our uh, rain and for the sun and for the ocean. Do we realize the spiritual darkness that's there? We read over this. And we know that they worship false gods, false deities, idolatry. Um, we know that all these were pagans, false beliefs. Here in chapter eleven, how many nations and or how many nations or peoples had a, a clear understanding of God's law and sin? Just chapter eleven, just just what we read, four hundred years. How many people had God given His law to? One. So I just want you to think through that as we go through Old Testament books. Are you okay with that type of God? Are you okay with the type of God that gave his word and his law? Or do you think that it was like Tulsa, like a whole bunch of Christian churches all over those areas, and there was like then there was one pagan place? That wasn't the case. Some of them didn't even have the Jewish, the Jewish synagogue. How vast was the spiritual darkness? All nations, spiritual 
darkness. Um, how vast was their spiritual blindness? All people. What was the, the, the work salvation that people were learning to make their gods approve of them? They're still going on today, right? So now let's turn it real personal. So why you? How many times did you get to reject the gospel of grace? So, so this matters. Spiritual darkness, they were called the dark ages after Christ for a reason. All kinds of idolatry, all kinds of false things, and the only ones who had God's word was the Roman Catholic Church. And they had seven indulgences that you could work your way to heaven through. Giving more, praying people out of hell, doing good things, paying indulgences. That's not salvation, is it? So what happens when the only light in the room is very, very tiny? Are you okay with a God like that? Or did you think that like it was like 98%, 87%, 78%, all good, and oh, there were some bad seeds around too, and that's what happened in the Old Testament. So I just want you to think through, are you okay with a God like that? And then to turn it to you and go... So why you? Because you're passionate about the Word, right? People can't keep you from getting in the Word, right? People couldn't keep you from praying, right? People couldn't keep you from meeting people and telling them about the Gospel. People couldn't keep you from... Do you see what we do? And God was going, man, look at the grace that's poured out on you. In Romans um, 5... Just on this idea of, man, why me? Therefore, since we have been justified, stood up in front of a judge, marked not guilty, you get to go free. Since we have been justified by nothing that we could have done, all the evidence laid out on the tables, and us realizing all the sin that we've ever done, and you get to go free, the blood cleanses you. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think Daniel would have loved to have had that word. Think Israel for the next 400 years as leader after leader after leader after leader come in and pillage their villages and took their wives and children, screaming, ranting, raving. Nothing you could do with powerful Greek Roman forces. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Think Daniel would have loved to have heard that? Think some of the angels fighting would have loved to have known what that was going to look like? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God just, just shows his love for us in this, that while we were still in the middle of your sin, didn't straighten up enough, get, 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 got myself lined up, now, now would you die for me? when you're in that sickest, most secret, and most dark stuff that you've been doing, when you're, you're, you're the furthest from God, the most sickening thing, while we were yet living that out, or maybe you were really, really good, and maybe you were really, really moral, and you grew up in a really good Christian home, and it took for you a while to figure out that I was just as separated from God in my righteousness, that I needed a Savior, 
that truly had holiness. So either way, he shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, in the state of wrath, Christ died for us. That's what he's been building up to. So Daniel 11 shows us a picture of ourselves, shows us a picture of not horrible people that we would be nothing like, but no, exactly a people just like us. And yet we've been giving the gospel of grace. We've been giving the full picture of Christ and what he's done. So when we look at 11, we can look and say, man, God, thank you that your word is true. Thank you that you're sovereign, that you chose in Acts 17, it says that you chose the times and places that we would live and breathe, that you chose that. And I got to be born into an area where the Bible was all over and I could spit on it for years. And he still loved me with a smile. So we have to consider Daniel 11 a very important area. Let me pray as we go into um, the Lord's Supper time.